morning, Grace Life. It's nice to see all of you, whether uh, it's in person or virtually, even though I can't see you if you're virtual, but hi. Um, we welcome you all this morning. Um, thank you for being here. We had a great, I loved last Sunday when we met as a family and ate. I thought that was awesome. And um, I just am very thankful for this family. So while we're waiting for, uh, we get to hear Matt this morning, not Tommy, surprise. While we're waiting for that, if you point your phone towards this QR code, um, it'll take you to the website. It'll look like that uh, picture on the left, and you can find the scripture. You can also, uh, you'll notice that giving's on there and all of that stuff. We don't pass a plate. There is a box in the back, or you can give uh, virtually as well. So thank you for that in advance. And as we, as our custom, we have a, a welcome that we say every Sunday. And if you stop and think about it, it's, it's pretty incredible, actually, because I think in, in lots of ways, we all are some of these things each and every week. You know, we all need comfort. We all become weary. We all need rest. We all probably sometimes feel worthless and wonder if God cares. And I think we all need strength. We need his strength. We can't do this on our own. So if you want to read this with me, uh, we will do that. To all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and whoever else will come, Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome. So, welcome. Um, our scripture this morning, I, there are two actually, they are from the Old Testament. Um, Matt said he's going to talk on justice, so of course it's from the Old Testament. So buckle in, although knowing his heart it's going to be great. So, the first, um, the, the first scripture is from Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. You can tell I memorized that from another ver version. Sorry. Here's the next one. It is, what is it? Zechariah, what are Seven, all right. Yeah, I didn't memorize that, sorry. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not op oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Hear the word of the Lord. And welcome, Matt. Pardon all the uh, technical difficulties here. Good morning. Like Craig said, my name is Matt, and uh, I get to be one of the pastors here at Grace Life. Let's see if I can get this thing to stay. This is a rookie, rookie pastor move right here. There we go. Yes, like, uh, like Craig said, my name is Matt, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Life, and this morning we'll be 
talking about the always, what's the right word, unifying subject of justice, right? No, I'm just kidding. It can be a very divisive, uh, especially in today's political climate. So before we dive in, I'm going to pray for myself, for us, that we would hear from the Lord and see what He has to say about this often elusive concept of justice. Let's pray. God, you are here with us, and I don't want us to miss that, Lord. So please guide my words, guide my thoughts. I pray that I would just get out of the way and let your word and your character shine through, Father. I pray for all of our hearts that you would soften us towards yourself. Draw us in with your mercy and your grace, Lord. May this be a sweet time of, of worship as we learn more about who you are and the, and the character of your justice, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On January 14th, 2018, a girl named Jordan Turpin called 911. Through her, her slightly broken English, she told dispatchers that she had escaped her house to make this phone call. She said her parents had been abusing her and her 12 other siblings for as long as she could remember. That's 13 kids. An officer found her roaming the streets outside of the family's clean-cut, middle-class California neighborhood. You know, at first he suspected she may have had a mental illness and was just making up stories. But thankfully, she had taken some pictures on the old cell phone she had gotten a hold of. So the police officer, seeing the pictures, he called in some backup and went to the, the, the girl's home, and they did a welfare check. What they found was completely devastating. One child, when they walked in, was shackled to their bed with handcuffs. Other handcuffs were found throughout the house, showing that this was a, a common tactic that these parents used. <clears throat> Rotten garbage, molding food, and even dead pets were found in the home. Even though extra food was molding all around, every single one of the kids was malnourished. The children were given food only once a day. The parents lived in excess while their own children starved. And the bruises on the children's bodies proved that the abuse was more than just mere neglect. At one time, the kids recall, for a span of several years, they were moved into a trailer on the back of the property. The parents would drop off groceries every week or two, and the children had to ration it out themselves because it was never quite enough. They recall surviving on ketchup and mustard and eating ice. In the meantime, the parents were out traveling. <clears throat> the worst part is that these parents used the Bible to justify their behavior. They ripped some verses out of context and abusing the authority God had given them as parents. They even claimed they had the right to kill their kids if they wanted to, often using that as a threat against them. What a gross misunderstanding of God's word. And what a gross misunderstanding of justice. Stories like this remind us of how important it is to define justice properly, but they also show us how much we want justice. Like, we don't want stories like that to be true, right? Like, we hate that. We hate that story. And if it is true, we want whoever's responsible to not get away with that. 
Our culture, even on a wide-scale level, it seems to be obsessed with justice. I mean, for as long as humanity has been recording history, we can read the, the struggle that we've had of trying to form a fair and just society. But even today, there's, there's probably like 8 million true crime podcasts out there, right? And people dedicate their lives trying to solve cold cases. But even in the political sphere, we have social justice, racial justice, economic justice, all kinds. It's one of, if not the hottest topics in politics today. And this, it's very interesting to me uh, because it is a good thing that we want a fair society, right? Um, it's, it's a good, we're created in the image of God and God is a God of justice. So this passion and desire people have for justice is a good thing oftentimes. The issue is that as one uh, cultural commentator, he put it this way. So we are in what, what philosophers and, and cultural commentators call a post-Christian society here in the West. And this, this is how he defines it. We want the kingdom without the king. So we want all the benefits of a good and fair and morally upright society. We just don't want this king telling us how to live our lives. Right? We, we don't want to submit to the king, but we want his perfect kingdom. We want the kingdom without the king. So as representatives of God's kingdom, like we as believers represent the kingdom with the king, right? We do submit to that king. And as representatives of that kingdom, how do we go about doing justice? That's the question I want to look at today. So I'm going to read these verses one more time. Micah 6.8. They boil down so simply. This is, this is why I love these passages. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. Here, I'll put it up on the screen for you. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Zechariah 7, 9 and 10. <clears throat> Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. How do we do that? Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. So as I was starting to prepare for this message, I, I was reading through the Minor Prophets, and these two verses just grabbed a hold of my attention. And I wanted to to preach on the verses as a whole, but then I got to, to that word justice, and it is such a loaded, loaded word. It's a loaded term in the Bible, but especially in the political climate we find ourselves in, everybody's talking about justice. What does it mean? How do we do it? How do we bring justice about? So I, I felt led to just pull the car over. We're going to park here, and we're going to talk about what it means to define justice and what it looks like to do justice. But first, I have to address the fact that this is a very political term, right? I think, if I had to guess, and, and justice is often an elusive term, if I, had, if I asked everyone in this room to give a definition of justice, or how, to, how do we do justice, I bet as many people are in the room, we would have that many different definitions. It's, sometimes it's overwhelming to think about this topic, but then it gets political, right? And we start to think, 
all right, which political party does the best job of bringing about justice? Or we think, we start to point fingers and we say, that party over there, uh, they don't care about the same groups of people that God seems to care about. Or this party over here, they, they just totally misunderstand what biblical justice is. Or we think things like, I can't believe Christians would ever vote for policies like that or for a candidate like that. And it, it can become very sticky and divisive, right? Here at Grace Life, I'll never say never, but we probably won't tell you who to vote for from the pulpit. But we will tell you, in a sense, how to vote. And what do I mean by that? I mean that we will emphasize and remind you that God's word and God's character should be the ultimate standard that you go by when you go through your thinking process and the voting process. We will encourage you to be more united to God and his word than to any political party or candidate. And we'll remind you that the Christian ideal, the Christian ethic, it won't ever neatly and perfectly fit into either or any political party. It's something beyond this world, something beyond what we can accomplish on our own. So hopefully this can open the door for further conversation. In a short 30-minute sermon, there's no way I can address every question on this topic. So if you have questions, if you want to talk through this, reach out to me. We can grab lunch, grab a cup of coffee. And if I step on your toes today when, with talking about this and you want to send in a complaint, feel free to send an email. That's uh, Tommy at Grace Life, Florida. I would love, I would love to hear any complaints, any, anything you just want to shout about. But, but isn't that one of the problems in our culture today. We don't have conversations. We're just yelling past each other. But one thing I do want to say is that God's word makes it clear that when it comes to doing justice, the way we live our daily lives is actually a lot more important and powerful than casting a vote every couple of years. Now, I by no means want to belittle the importance of voting. We should cherish that as a gift and a privilege that we have. And we should be grateful for the men and women who have fought to secure that and who continue to secure that. So I do not want to belittle the importance of it. But I do want to emphasize that our daily lives are actually more important than than how we vote. So I believe Zechariah and Micah show us the importance of how we live and bringing about justice. So as I said, today we're just going to try to do two things defining justice, and then seeing what it means to do justice. So, <clears throat> like I said, for, for as long as human history, we, we know, we have written about, we've thought about, we've struggled of how to form this perfect and just society. I, by no means, will try to end that conversation this morning. I simply want to introduce what the Bible has to say about it. This should be the most important thing we think about when it comes to justice. So we'll start with a basic definition, all right? This is Merriam-Webster. What is justice? It's the maintenance or administration of what is just. Super helpful, right? <laughs> just kidding. So now we have to define what is just. What does it mean to be just? Merriam-Webster, conforming to a standard of correctness. That's pretty good. Conforming to a standard of correctness. So the question becomes, what is the standard? 
Or maybe in our context, who is the standard? Spoiler alert, it's God. Right? When it comes to justice, we have to remember that there is a judge. And God is that judge. God is the author of all that is good and right and true. So when it comes to defining justice from a biblical point of view, we'll make it simple. Justice is making things right or making things whole. Justice happens when the judge, the king, is on his throne and everything is in harmony with his rule. So everything conforms to that standard, to the standard of God himself. So, in today's political climate, see, I, I told you we're getting political today. It's okay. In today's political climate, we as representatives of the kingdom with the king, we have to let God define justice. Nobody else. We can't be tossed to and fro by every new wind and wave of doctrine or new wind and wave of justice. And just because this new, some new initiative or policy slaps the label justice on it, we have to be wise and see if it actually is bringing about real biblical justice. I was reading an article getting ready for this morning, and the author said, throwing adjectives in front of justice, it's not always helpful. It's, it's like putting ketchup on steak, right? <laughs> when, we, when we throw these adjectives like social justice and all these things, maybe it's not the most helpful thing to do. But we want, to def- we want to let God define justice. And so according to God's word, there are two aspects of justice. Or you can put it this way. There are two ways that God makes things right or makes things whole again. So justice, or you could say God, he repays and he restores. So justice repays, justice restores, or you could say it, God repays and God restores. So starting with how God repays, this is, think of crime and punishment, right? This is courtroom style justice. And God is absolutely about bringing this type of justice. He says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay the wicked. God says he will settle all accounts. You know, if you turn turn to Revelation chapter 20, it depicts God on his great white throne. And it says, every man and woman will stand before that throne And we'll have to give an account for what they've done. And God will judge them. So when it comes to biblical justice, if if we believe God is the judge, that means God is my judge. That means God's your judge. We can't gloss over that. One day we will give an account. And he will either repay you with his wrath. Because you see, if God is the judge, a good judge cannot just let things go. He can't just throw some things under the rug, and still be a good judge. So he will either repay you with his wrath or he will pardon you with his grace. And Tommy showed us recently in Romans 3, on our own, none of us are righteous. On our own, none of us can stand before that throne and be pardoned. So it has to be through his grace. So the only hope of pardon from the justice that repays is through Jesus. And we'll see how that works later on in a minute. So God repays and God also restores. You know, when God created all things, it says it was very good. 
In the beginning, there was perfect harmony and peace and shalom. The relationship between humanity and God was good. The relationship between man and woman was good. All things were conforming to the rule of God, the king. But then the fall disturbed that peace, right? Adam and Eve, they decided to eat of the fruit of the tree. What was the tree called? The, the knowledge of good and evil. So what they did, they start to define good and evil on their own terms. Instead of letting the king define it, they decide, you know, I think we can define this ourselves. And it broke the world, right? It introduced brokenness and sin into the world. But God wants to restore that relationship with humanity. He wants to restore relationships between human beings he wants, he's on a mission to make things right on a relational level, on a personal and societal level. God wants to re, his restorative justice, right? He wants to reintroduce Eden into this broken world. That's the mission that he's on. We can call it his restoration project, right? And it started with Abraham. So the question is, if God is seeking to restore things his relationship with us, but also he wants to restore things on a societal level. How does that happen? Check this out. When God calls Abraham, he tells him, I will bless you, and through you I will bless all the nations, right? So the question is, how is he going to do that? Genesis 18, 18 through 19. We'll see if I can. Can you guys see that? I'm having trouble reading. I'm going to have to do it this way. It says this, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So how is that going to happen? For I have chosen him that he may his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and doing justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he promised him. So the way God wants to bless the world, in one sense, We'll get to Jesus later. That's, I mean, that's the culmination of the restoration project. But one way is he wants, God wants his people to do righteousness and to do justice to bring that restoration. And that's what we see. Well, let me say this first. As God wants to restore relationships, he also wants to bring that peace and harmony back to society. And so we see throughout the Old Testament, God has a heart and compassion for those who are most vulnerable, for the, the weak and the needy. You know, in, in the beginning, before the fall, the, those categories of people, the widows and the orphans, they didn't exist because everything was whole. But now that sin and brokenness has been introduced, God has a compassionate heart towards those who are most victimized by the fall. It shows us that in, in Zechariah 7.10, this is called the quartet of the vulnerable, as Bible scholars call it. It's the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the sojourner, or the immigrant. God actually made laws. When God was forming his, his, the nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, and he instilled these laws, he actually put in laws to protect those people. It says, you shall not wrong a sojourner, Oh man, I can't read this one either. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. 
You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword. And your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. You might be thinking I should have stopped at verse 23. We don't like to hear verse 24, do we? But this actually highlights something that's incredible about God's justice. God's justice is always fueled by his love and his compassion. So the reason his wrath burns so great is because these people most affected by the fall are being taken advantage of even more. And his compassion for those who are vulnerable motivates his wrath to repay those who took advantage. And this is, this is something that, I, if, if you don't hear anything else this morning, this is one thing that I think is really important for us to remember. When it comes to, to God's justice, justice that, wrong slide, justice that repays and restores, I think we can get pulled into the trap that it's an either-or. God is either the judge on his throne who settles all accounts, or he's the warm, compassionate friend who wants to reach the vulnerable. But in fact, it's actually a both-and. The judge is the warm and kind friend who has love and compassion for people. And I, I do... I do want to say, I feel like I have to make this clear in a, in a victim culture that we live in. God does have a heart for the victim, but even victims will have to stand before God's great white throne, right? They, they don't get a free pass just because they were more affected by this broken world. God, and he not only has a heart for the oppressed, he also has a heart for the oppressor. God desires that none would perish right? He, he doesn't fit into the categories that we want to limit him to. But I'm, I'm glad God has a heart for those who are vulnerable, because this world is broken, and it's not fair. You know, on January 14th, 2018, when the, the Turpin daughter called 911, you know what I was doing? I was out getting breakfast sandwiches with my wife, celebrating my birthday. Like, is that fair? I don't think so. And God knows that. He knows we live in a broken world, so he has a heart for those most affected by that. But as I said, he has a heart for everyone, so don't miss that either. So as we understand that God is a God who repays but also restores, it's not an either-or, it's a both-and. Check out these verses. If you don't believe me, God's justice is often coupled with his love when he is described. So in Exodus 34, this is God himself telling Moses who he is. He says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity. Man, I can't read that word. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. His love and his justice are together. It's a both and. Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. 
Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. So God is the God who repays and restores. He does justice, but he's also called us to do justice as well. Bringing about the peace and shalom before the fall is part of our job. So let's see what it means for us to do justice. Simple. We repay and we restore. You might be thinking, how do we repay? We are not the judge, right? We are by no means the judge. So how do we repay? How do we reflect that kind of justice of our God? Before we get into that, we are the representatives of the new kingdom that God has promised to bring, right? We are representatives of that future kingdom where God will finally restore all things, make everything right. As if, not as if the fall never happened, but it'll return to something like Eden where everything is good and whole and true. And we represent that kingdom with the king. So our job is to break that future kingdom into the present. We are outposts of that kingdom here and now. We will not be able to fully realize that kingdom on our own. That'll happen when Jesus returns. But we try to break that in where we are. We're breaking in the future reality of restoration into the present. So as we participate in God's restoration project, we repay and we restore. So how do we repay? Well, Romans 12, Tommy will get to Romans 12, probably 2025, somewhere around there in our, in our current series in Romans. I'm just kidding. But when we get to Romans 12, we will see that we are called to repay evil with good. Do not repay evil for evil, but overcome evil with good because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So we can trust the judge that he will make things right. In the meantime, we can repay evil with good. Our, our job is not to repay evil with evil. We are not the judge. Now, one caveat is Romans 13. If you turn the page in Romans, God does de- delegate some of that authority to the government. He also delegates it to, to parents or if you're managing a business, you might be called to settle an account, right? If you have an employee stealing money from your business, you're going to want him to pay that back, right? But when we're off the clock, when we're just interacting with our friends and neighbors in our community, we are called to repay evil with good. And so how do we bring justice that restores? This, this is the million-dollar question, right? Because it often feels so overwhelming. There's so much injustice in this world. And we can get frozen into inaction or apathy. But how do you climb Mount Everest? It's one step at a time, baby. It's one step at a time. Justice isn't always this grand scale nationwide thing. We can bring justice and show mercy by having the same heart that God does for the oppressed. James 1, 27 True and pure religion that is undefiled is visiting orphans and widows in their affliction and keeping yourself unstained from the world. It's through inviting out the outcast and the outsider to become an insider. One of my friends and mentors said it like this. We were talking about how we can be active and effective 
even in the political realm of helping bring justice. And he said, one of the most politically powerful and active things you can do is to love your wife, to pour into your kids and raise them to be good citizens, and to be a good neighbor. So bringing justice and caring for the poor, it's a lot more than casting a vote. That's part of it, but it's a lot more than that. It's intentionally living a life marked by service to those who are around us. Look at this, Bob Fry, he's a a local uh, political official in the Denver area. He said this, the majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or at least drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. Wow. Does that sound familiar? I think Jesus might have been onto this. He said, he gave us the, what is the greatest commandment, Jesus was asked. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. A fun thought experiment would just be, imagine if everybody loved their neighbor as much as they loved themselves. I think a lot of problems would be restored. And God, he gave us the story of the Good Samaritan, right? To define who is our neighbor. It's not just somebody who lives next to us. It's even somebody we would consider an enemy, and we care for them. We reach out to them, even at great cost to ourselves. When Jennifer Turpin, the oldest sibling of the family who experienced abuse, when she was in grade school, uh, she actually went to public school for a while, um, but then the parents pulled her out. While she was going to grade school, many kids and teachers noticed her foul smell, her timid demeanor, her dirty clothes. And I just couldn't help but think if somebody would have at least just asked how her home life was, maybe if the parents of the other students sought to befriend her parents, or if the teacher sought to befriend her parents. I mean, you never know what would have happened, but maybe all the damage and injustice could have been cut off a lot sooner. Instead, she was ostracized by her classmates. So as we seek to live as outposts of God's kingdom, let's look for opportunities to serve those who are oppressed, the miserable, the orphan, the widow, the abused, the neglected. That is true religion. And we can only break in God's kingdom one step at a time, one act of kindness and mercy at a time. But we got to talk about Jesus too. Jesus came not just to rid our societies of injustice, he came to rid our hearts of injustice. Zechariah 7.10, it hints at this. After it lists the, those who are most vulnerable, it says this, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. One Bible scholar puts it this way, Jesus hates injustice more than we do. We hate sex trafficking. He hates lust. We hate racism. He hates pride. He hates having anger against your brother in your heart. God wants to root out the heart issue as well as its devastating effects. Don't get me wrong. Jesus does hate sex trafficking, and he hates racism. But it's because he hates the heart issue that would ever lead to something as gross and terrible as those things. So when we try to become active in the community doing justice... 
we're not just trying to eradicate the outward expression of evil. No, what we're trying to do is address the heart issue. We want to bring restoration on a heart level. That's what God is most concerned about. And this is where we start to realize how powerful, I mean, how powerless we actually are. Because the question is, how do you eliminate injustice? You have to eliminate sin. Can we do that? No. Can we eliminate sin in somebody else's heart? We can't even eliminate sin in our own heart. We need God, we need Jesus to give us a new heart. So the one, we need to trust the one who can forgive and restore both the oppressor and the oppressed. So if we can't eliminate sin in our other people or in ourselves, what we can do is introduce them to the one who can. You know, on the cross, Jesus embodies both forms of justice. The cross repays and the cross restores. Jesus took on the payment for our sin on the cross, which is the wrath of God, so that when we stand before the great white throne and God's justice is repaying, we can say, Jesus is standing here in my place. He already took on that payment. So it repays, but it restores. Jesus ushers in a new kingdom where all things will be right. All things will be whole and good and true. No one will be vulnerable or disadvantaged. On the cross, the judge became the judged. The king became the oppressed and the vulnerable. You know, Billy Graham, he, uh, he used to give an illustration. He was on his way to a speaking engagement. He was speeding because he was late. He got pulled over. And apparently the way it worked in this little Carolina town was you had to pay the fine on the spot, and he didn't have it. So he was taken to the judge, and he said, I don't have the money. I need to get to the speaking engagement. And the judge, he couldn't just let him go because he had, he had a standard to uphold. The judge pulls out his wallet and pays the fine for Billy Graham. That's the cross. Jesus, the judge himself, it's not some random person who stood in our place. It's the judge himself taking on the payment in our place. He became the friend of sinners. The cross of Jesus both repays and restores. And now as we await his return, we can help break in that future reality of his kingdom into the present. You know, during his ministry, Jesus, he went around healing the sick. Uh, caring for the vulnerable. He, but he also was teaching truth and forgiving sins. He was spreading the new kingdom in both word and deed. It's not an either or issue, it's a both and. We want to bring restoration on a physical level, yes, but a spiritual level. That is our goal, our job, as we seek to do justice. So as we seek to introduce God's new kingdom... Let's introduce people to the king. That's how we can do justice. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a good, kind, warm, and loving judge. That you, the judge, came down to be judged in our place. And that your cross both repays and restores 
It covers us, God. We cannot stand before you on our own because your standard is perfection and righteousness and we fall short. So God, may we be nothing but grateful to you that you offer that to us freely in your grace. God, as we accept the gospel, may it affect how we live, that we would seek to go and do the same to reflect you, to be a representative of this new kingdom, to become more and more like Jesus, to bring restoration, to introduce people to the one who can restore. God, we love you, and we know that we can do none of these things without your power and without your guidance and your help, Lord. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Tommy is going to come up. He'll lead us in the Lord's Supper. Thank you, Matt, for bringing God's Word to us this morning. Well, as you can see, this is the first Sunday of the month, and we always take that as an opportunity to celebrate communion. The Bible says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And as often as we do this is the beginning of every month. This is a beautiful, powerful reminder to us of the, some of the things that Matt was just reminding us of. We, we have amnesia sometimes when it comes to the greatest event in the history of the world, and God knows that. God knows that we're visual learners, and so he gave us this ordinance just like he gave us baptism. So I always uh, remind everyone, if you have a child in the back who has professed faith in Christ, and you want them to join you, it's, it's a powerful reminder visibly for children too, especially, who are the greatest visual learners. So we, we give a pause and invite parents or siblings to go and, and grab those students in the back while we prepare. So I want to invite the servers who are going to help us serve the elements today. You can make your way down here, and uh, everyone can just begin to, to prepare your heart. I'll read some scriptures. I'll read the instructions that the Apostle Paul gave in 1 Corinthians 11. If you want to turn there, you're welcome to do that. This is, uh, Matt reminded us last Sunday we had a baptism, and he reminded everyone that there's no power in the water. It's, uh, the power is in the reality that the water represents, union with Christ. And there's no power in these wafers <clears throat> and juice. The power is in the reality that these point to, uh, the finished work of Jesus, his broken body, his shed blood, uh, his empty grave. And so that's what communion is all about. And um, if you are someone who is trusting in the finished work of Jesus right now, this very moment, if you are trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, I would invite you, and Jesus would invite you to partake in this. When this plate is passed in front of you, you can grab one of these wafers and and grab uh, this juice. Actually, they're both together because we've been in a pandemic for going on two years now. We have have opted to to prioritize your health, and so we still use these prepackaged and they're prepared safely with sanitized hands. So um, if you feel safe and, and willing to partake with us today, we invite you to do that. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite our servers to pass this out as our children are going to come in and join their families. So would you bow, bow your head and pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the word that we heard. Thank you for the worship we've already engaged in today. And uh, this is how we begin every month uh, with this visible reminder of the finished work of Jesus. What the Apostle Paul said uh, is of first importance that Christ came according to the scriptures. He died. He rose from the grave. 
and then he ascended up into heaven. Lord, we need to be reminded of this, even in ways that <clears throat> invite our senses, our, our smell, our touch, our taste to participate, Lord, so that we, we can grab hold of it with, with all uh, of us that you have created, our bodies, our tongues, our ears, our, our, our fingers, so that we don't forget it, Lord. We know we're prone to. So would you please bless this time of us remembering your finished work on our behalf, you being our substitute, you being the Lamb of God um, who was sent into the world to take the place of sinners so that we could go free, so that we could be whole, so that we could be restored, so that payment could be made, as Matt said, on our behalf, so that you could absorb the wrath of Almighty God in our place, Lord, and forgive us and cleanse us and give us the more abundant life that we all want, Lord. So I pray that this will be a time of, of, uh, of power and beauty and truth and, rem and remembrance. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys take these and distribute them for us? I'm going to read some of chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. Sometimes we wait until we have it in our hands, but we don't have to. We can hear that now as you begin to prepare your heart. This is what the Apostle Paul said. You know, he, he wrote these instructions to a, to a church that was really struggling. They were very self-centered. They were very divided. There was conflict and disharmony and disunity. And the Apostle Paul wrote to this church, and he addressed every problem. He answered every question, but he always brought it back around to the gospel. And one of the, one of the issues they were facing is when they had communion, it was, a, it was a drunken festival. Can you imagine that? How church get, Can you guys imagine if Grace Life, it was first, first uh, Sunday of the month, and everyone came in here with uh, your favorite alcoholic beverage. Some of you guys staggered in here, and you'd been at it since 7 this morning. And then you came in here and ripped a chicken wing off of the... Of the plate down here, you didn't wait for one another. That's how bad it was. And so the Apostle Paul, just to give you some modern context here, this is what the Apostle Paul's addressing. He says this. He says, In the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it, in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry. Another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. He's saying, you should know better. I've already taught you what, the God, uh, what God instructed us to do. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's a beautiful statement. You know, every single person in this room today who partakes in communion, you are preaching a sermon. Do you know that? Everybody wants to preach, don't they? Well, you're about to. Every single person in here is making a proclamation when you partake of this together. You, you are proclaiming the Lord's death, and you're looking to when he will come, the judge, the one who's going to repay justice, the one who's going to restore justice. You're saying things aren't as they ought to be. And the church has limitations. Yes, we're supposed to be pockets of, uh, of God's kingdom everywhere we go. We're supposed to be salt and light. Uh, but we're not going to be able to eradicate injustice. We can't. Jesus already told us that. Things are going to be terrible until he returns. And that's what we're looking to. That's what we're banking on. Are you looking forward to Jesus coming back? Man, I am. That doesn't mean I want to go and put a blanket over my head and say, wake me up when Jesus comes back. There's work to be done, but I long, I groan. We're going to get to Romans 8. We groan together because this world is so broken and sin is so tragic. And even in our own hearts, we need rescue every day from ourselves. This is our opportunity to acknowledge that and say, Lord, I'm not what I ought to be, um, but I am in Christ and there's no condemnation. And I have assurance. This, what you're doing today is reminding yourself. It's the righteousness of Christ that gives you hope not your righteousness, not my righteousness, his righteousness. And it's a gift. It's a free gift. So maybe there's somebody in here and uh, you're, you're thinking, what's all this salvation cross forgiveness stuff about? It's about this. You are not enough. You can't secure your own righteousness. You can't forgive yourself. Uh, you're a sinner in, in, in desperate need of Jesus. And he provided what you need. He provided righteousness that's free. He provided forgiveness. And he did all that on the cross and the resurrection. Have you asked him for that? Have you asked him for forgiveness? Have you asked him for grace and for restoration? He loves, that's his favorite prayer in, in the world. Jesus loves to hear, help me, save me, forgive me, cleanse me, rescue me. He'll answer that prayer. And he has for those of you who have asked. And that's what we're celebrating today. So would you take now the, uh, the bread and the cup with me? Let's, let's do it together in Jesus' name. Take the bread. And I should have warned you, those are hard to peel off, aren't they? And now you can take, you can take the cup in his name. Let's do it together. And let's pray. They gave thanks that night after they had celebrated this with, with Jesus, and we give thanks, Lord. We thank you for this reminder that you have engaged all of our senses, Lord. Our memory of the past, our anticipation of the future, we are proclaiming your death until you come, and we long for that day. We pray for that day. We say with John and Revelation, come, come even now, Lord Jesus, come and restore this broken planet. Come and, and complete your work in, in our broken hearts. And use us, Lord, in the meantime to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with you and to show everyone in this world the kind of king that we serve and how he has, has transformed and rescued us, Lord, and restored our hearts. And may we go about, as Jesus did, doing good, 
sharing the kingdom, sharing the good news. Empower us to do that, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, here's another part of our tradition. Every first Sunday, we do what they did that night. We, uh, we sing a hymn together, and our worship team is going to lead us. And, uh, and then I'm going to forget, so I'm going to say it now. These little cups, they have about a quarter of an ounce left in them. You ever notice that? You can't always sip it all out. There's just enough left to spill and stain the carpet. And this is not our building. We're praying for our own building. But this is not our building. We share this with the school, and we want to be good stewards. So would you please maybe just poke this back down in there like that, and there's a basket when you leave. You can dispose of that properly, and, and we can take good care of the school. You know, that's part of doing justice right there. I just spilled this all over my hand. Look at that. <laughs> so uh, will you lead us in a hymn, brother? And then I'll, I'll close out our time with some announcements and our charge. I invite you to stand. Let's sing together, Lord, I need you. Oh, 
you're my one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. Amen. You can be seated. We've got just a few announcements and then we'll say our weekly Grace Life Charge and we'll be on our way. So I think we got some slides to help me. Yes, yeah, student ministry. So uh, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, tonight from 6 to 8 at Matthew and Alexa Carr's house, we're going to have a student ministry. We have that actually twice a month, every other week. And uh, if you need help with the address, if maybe this is your first time you have uh, children that are middle school and up into high school and you want them to be a part of that, Matt, the guy that just preached, and his wife, Alexa, are right over there. You can grab their address from them, and they'll be there from 6 to 8. Snacks tonight, meal, meal, full meal. So come hungry and leave full, full of a lot of stuff, full of the word, full of food, full of some good fellowship. Uh, and related to student ministry, Camp Behold is this summer, and there's some really important updates that you, the students, and the parents need to hear. And so uh, if you could just stay after right here in the auditorium, Matt's going to give those really important updates, and he's not going to keep you any longer than 15 minutes tops. But these are important updates. Uh, even the date has changed, so they're really important. You need to be here for that. Um, so that's student ministry. Secondly, four times a year, we have gatherings for men and for women. We don't have an ongoing men's ministry, women's ministry. We're not able to do that. Um, because we have community groups and we have discipleship groups. We don't want to for those to compete. But it's good for men to get together. It's good for women to get together. And we do that four times a year. The first time for the men and women's is this month in February. And please mark your calendar for that. The men's is going to be on February the 17th. Is that a Thursday? Yes, it's a Thursday. It's coming up in uh, next week, February 17th. It's going to be at my house from 630 to 8. Every man in this congregation is invited to come. Uh, you won't regret it. We're going to have a good time together. And the women's is going to be on February the 15th. And that's going to be, I think, where's Wendy at? Wendy, is that at your house? Yes, that's at Wendy and Mark Hart's house, 630 to 8. So every woman in this congregation is invited to, to, to come and invite a friend, even somebody that's an unbeliever in your family, in your neighborhood. Bring them along. Bring them along and, and, and do... What we heard about earlier in this sermon, show them aspects of the kingdom. So uh, next week, actually this week is your last week to pre-order these t-shirts. They're seven bucks. Way to go, Megan. She found a great t-shirt. It's got a great look for $7. Front, back, you want to represent Grace Life, you can do that. Uh, go to the Church Center app or just scan that QR code there with your phone, and that'll take you to the through the process digitally where you can get that order. Or you can just go to the church app, and I think you hit events at the bottom, and that's the first thing you see is that T-shirt there. So pre-order yours now, and when those come in, we'll distribute those. Uh, is that the last announcement slide? Yeah. Well, a, a couple of other things. Last Sunday, we celebrated seven years, seven-year birthday. Grace Life turned seven last Sunday, and some of you weren't here. You missed these free gifts that we sent home with everybody that has a vehicle. These are magnetic-backed stickers. It's got our Grace Life website on there and our really cool logo. So we have a ton of these in the front. As you're leaving, if you have an automobile, even if you're not a member here, and you want to represent, get one of these, slap them on. Now listen, these, these don't work on aluminum bumpers, okay? 
It's got to be it's got to be metal. They don't work on fiberglass either, unless you've had some work done on there. And then maybe there's some metal, right, Cliff? I don't know. Anyway, but listen, if you put this on your car, drive right. <laughs> okay. And if you put this on your car and you don't drive right and you get pulled over, tell the policeman about Grace Life Church, okay? <laughs> Invite them to come. Here's another thing that, that you need. This is the prayer focus for 2022. We're praying for three things. Gospel conversation, student, uh, next generation, student ministry, and our own location. We're praying for a building. This is going to be the year. Amen. Yes. Put these. This is magnetic backed, and it's for your refrigerator. And every time you go to your refrigerator... Is that a lot or just a few times? Every time you go, look at this thing and fire up an SOS to God. Say, Lord, will you please help us find our own place? Will you please empower us to share the gospel with every neighbor we meet? Uh, and will you please raise up student ministry workers and, and bring salvation to these kids and empower Pastor Matt and his group to, uh, to lead them and to pour into them and invest them? So get one of these free on your way out. Get one of these free on your way out. And I got one more thing. You guys are so patient. It's in here. I know it's in here. I put it in here this morning. Here it is. Patty Parks has been making her rounds to all of our community groups. She's had several events, one at Olive Garden. She's had a tea for women, I think, at the Wycuffs home. She has gone above and beyond to make herself available to share with you her work in Ireland. And we have these cards. Some of you have asked, well, listen, how can we get on board and support her? How can we be a part of her newsletter and receive her, her uh, monthly prayer updates? Here's the easiest way to do that. Get one of these cards that looks like Ireland with Patty's picture on it on the way out. This morning, she's all the way on the West Coast in California presenting and giving an update to a church. That's why you don't see her every Sunday. People are like, where's her sending church? Where's she at? She comes here for one month every year, and she goes around and she gives updates at different churches, and she meets new people and connects and tries to raise more support. She's not 100% um, supported financially, so we're praying she can get 100% supported before she leaves. And uh, maybe you're new to this church and don't know about Patty. Pick up one of these cards, and this will tell you everything you need to hear. Um, and I, th I think that's it. So you guys can stand to your feet. Just so you don't think this is a cult, what we're about to do may seem weird to you. This is our reminder that... What has just happened is just refueling for you. You have came here this morning, and you've gathered together, and you've been equipped. That's what preaching does. Equips the saints for the work of the ministry. And now, when you walk outside those doors, you're a witness. You're an ambassador. There's work to do. There's justice to be done, right? So we remind ourselves of this every single week. This is our charge. This is like our liturgy of Grace Life Church. So you can say it with me if you want to. It's up here. Ready? I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent. God bless you. We will see you at community group or at students' leadership tonight or next Sunday. Have a great day.